0: As you take your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, and we'll be looking at verses 30 through 44 at the Jesus feeding the 5,000. This actually is one of those accounts that is in every one of the Gospels, all four Gospels. That doesn't happen with many of the accounts, but that's, that's true of this, so it must be very important that we must give heed and listen to. You. So listen carefully this morning as I read from God's Word. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when they went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fishes. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. That sends a reading of God's word. You may be seated. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you have given us your word. And you have so, le- so clearly written it, God, that not only uh, will those of us who are older in this room understand it, but even, Lord, you have told it in a way that kids could understand. So please, we pray that uh, you would open our eyes, because we know, Lord, that... Uh, there are those who also, the word seems to be just sort of blinded. They're blinded to the word. So we pray for your spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to receive these things. We pray in your name. Amen. So kids, speaking of you, let me just ask you this. Has your parents ever said, uh, reminded you about something? It could be to clean your room. It could be to uh, pick up your clothes. It could be to put the cereal box away. It could be any number of things. And you may not say this to your parents because you know it's disrespectful, but you might be thinking it in your mind. I know, I know, you've told me that before, right? You might be tempted to do that. You don't have to raise hands, but you know, we probably all have been there. Even us adults could, could admit to that. But kids, you have to understand this, that when it comes to living life and enduring hardships in life, the really key thing is not the things you don't know, but it's the things that you do know, but you've forgotten. And that's why your parents constantly are reminding you. They're reminding you of those important things that you need to know as you encounter life. And, and that's why your parents are telling you these things. Well, I'll tell you this. God does the same thing, kids, as you get older. Ask your mom and dads. They'll tell you that the Lord constantly reminds them of things that they have a tendency to forget. And I struggle with that as well. And one of the things that I wrestle to remember, I think, more than anything, is that God is enough. That He is enough. He is sufficient. And I am not. And I get those two backwards. I want to think that I'm sufficient enough, but maybe God is not. And when it comes to life and to godliness, when it comes to ministering for God, I am nothing, and God is everything. I mean, Jesus really says that in John 15. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Actually, the context of that is, Jesus says, I am divine. You're you're the branches. You know, as you remain in me, matter of fact, you'll bear much fruit. And then he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And then Paul sort of drives that point home in his own words in Philippians chapter uh, 4, verse 13, where he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I know a lot of students claim this verse sort of out of context. You know, Lord, just I I trust you can do all things through me. So, you know, give me an A on my test or, you know, you you hear NFL players, you know, they're like, yeah, I didn't think I was going to make this awesome catch. And then I just remember, you know, Jesus can... You know, do all things through me. Now, those things are, that's out of context, okay? This is speaking of the reality of living for Christ, okay? But it's that idea of rejoicing in the times of sorrow and emptiness and looking to the fullness of God and being content and finding satisfaction and letting go of the anxiety of your life and being grateful to God is what he's talking about. It's in living life for God. I can do all things uh, to, through Him who strengthens me, but I cannot do it myself. Now that's not part of the verse, but you know. But we need to remember that I cannot do it myself. And this is basically sort of what Jesus is sharing with his disciples. Sort of the lesson he is driving home to them in this account. He wants them to them to see that 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 He is sufficient. Now, before we get into this account, though, I I really want us just to cover a few things. There's so much that's here that we could talk about. I mean, behind this story is the echo, really, of another time when God's people were taken out into the wilderness, only it wasn't under Jesus' leadership, it was under Moses' leadership. And and they had bread that they ate on, but it wasn't uh, barley loaves, and it wasn't fish, but it was manna instead. And instead of sitting in 50s and 100s on the grass they were organized in sections like we've read in our old testament text where you see how the levites are organized and how the people camped and everything and you can just see that as the jews heard and saw what jesus did it would sort of help them to see that jesus is that second moses he is the one who is the deliverer of god's people and uh and you you look at that and say Pastor Rick, where do you get that i don't see that well okay turn over to john's gospel if you would it's not so apparent here in Mark, but in John uh, chapter 6, verse 31, this is what we read. Jesus says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. This, this is John's account of the feeding of 5,000. Uh, okay, so he ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses Gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, as Jesus offers the people the bread of life, of course, you and I know He's speaking about more than just. Physical bread. He's not saying, you know, I'm like one of those uh, replicators on Star Trek. You know, like Captain Picard goes up to and says, "Tea, Earl Grey, hot." And Ooh, you know, there's a cup of tea that's there, and you know, he's he's drinking that cup of tea. Jesus isn't saying, "I'm a food replicator. Just come to me, and I'll keep cranking out bread. We'll meet here, you know, tomorrow morning, same time, and I'll give you breakfast." That's not what he was saying. Instead, he was using that miracle to point beyond the hunger of our bodies to really revealing the hunger of our souls and that of the people. You see, people across our world are dying for true spiritual food. Actually, they're they're more than dying. They are dead in their sins, and their bodies are just dying sort of to catch up, you know, in the fact that they're dead in their sins. They're cut off from God and cut off from the source of life in many ways. And one of the symptoms of someone who is dead in their sins is this sense of spiritual hunger. They they have a yearning in their soul. Now, I'm gonna date myself, but it sort of reminded me of the song that Mick Jagger sang in the rolling, with the Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, okay? I'm assuming you probably have heard of that song, but if you haven't, look it up. Anyway, but there's that yearning in our soul, and there's that sense in which we don't find satisfaction oftentimes. And there's this yearning for something so big And it's so good that it will satisfy our soul forever. And people are looking for that all over the place. They're hoping that the next purchase that they make might be that thing that will make fill that gap in their heart. They're, They're hoping that maybe the next person they hook up with and live with might satisfy them in some way in their desire for relationships. Uh, the next promotion to get at work. I mean, just fill in the blank. Whatever it is you want to put in there, people are looking for that. They're looking for that next big thing, that next good thing that will satisfy them. But Jesus is saying here, only I satisfy. You will find no satisfaction apart from me. And brothers and sisters, even as Christians, we can, to some extent, experience this. We can know God, and we can love Him, and we could be called His children, and we could delight in Him to some ways, and yet still our hearts are reaching out to the world. Our hearts are reaching out to relationships and things around us to try to find some sense of satisfaction. But our souls will only find its hunger satisfied in the feasting on the living bread of Jesus Christ. Only as we find our hope in Him. So there are echoes here in this text of Moses in the wilderness and this, this bread that is sent from heaven. But, but this passage is really more than just a reference to an Old Testament story or account. It's also a passage for us today. And, and I know that even as a, as a pastor, it's for me. You know, when, when I have problems that I can't solve, when I have pressures I can't bear, when I have needs that I can't meet and burdens I, I cannot carry, I need to remember that Christ is enough that he is sufficient. For those of you that are heads of households and you feel crushed by the, the weight of the responsibilities that you have. If you're married, maybe the fact that you feel like you can't meet the needs of your wife and, and your children, maybe even your children uh, really don't show a great love for the Lord. As a matter of fact, it's sort of a battle to get them to come to church. And, and you're struggling and you're you're wrestling and you just you know you can't make them do it, but you feel the weight of that. Maybe it's your family worship. It's very inconsistent and you think, oh Lord, why do I even battle doing this? I don't know what we're accomplishing here. Or, or maybe you're the one in the family who cooks all the meals and you do the laundry and you shuttle the kids all around and, and you just go, 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 go and you're, you're tired and you're exhausted and you think, oh God, I am overwhelmed. But Jesus is sufficient. Maybe you are your household. Maybe you're, you're single and, and life is fine and you, you have a job and you have friends and things are okay, but there's times when you come home and you just wish that you had someone to share your life with, someone that would be there when you got home, someone you could talk to. Maybe you're a young person and, and you're looking to college or maybe you just graduated from college and, and your whole future is ahead of you, but as you look at the events of this world, you're like, I'm not so sure about my future and what's going to happen. Will I be able to get a a job, a a decent career? Will I get married? If I do get married, will I be able to stay married for my entire life? Or will I be divorced? Or, you know, there's just all these things oftentimes that, that come upon us that is overwhelming. And this passage calls us to look to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He alone has a shepherd's heart. He alone can give the sheep what they need. He alone can give us what we need. And so I want us to look at this passage today as, as we uh, consider the feeding of the 5,000. Now, un- understand that this has happened in the context of Herod and the beheading of John the Baptist. So we have here a man who's been martyred for his faith. The disciples have just returned from their short-term mission trip. in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And uh, not only that, but as they get back, the ministry there with Jesus is very busy. If you look at verse 31, you know, it was so busy. People were coming and going that they didn't even have time to eat. And so Jesus says to them, Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. He calls them to, to sort of retreat, which is a good reminder. Uh, for us even, that though the demand, demands of ministry are great, that it is important at times to pull away and be with Jesus. And that could be the ministry in the church. That could be the ministry in your home. It could be ministry in your community. Wherever it is, it is so important to retreat and to be with Him. And not just to pull away and not just to get rest and not just to recharge your batteries, but to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus and to fellowship with Him. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think sometimes people think, but there's still work to be done. And, and I can relate to that to some degree. I was sort of raised with the idea that you don't rest until the work is done. And so you can go and go and go and go, but you know, in ministry, uh, the work is never done. And so you can actually uh, burn yourself out. But without isolated communion with Jesus, brothers and sisters, when we don't pull away, when we don't just spend that time with Jesus then our efforts for Jesus oftentimes tend to just become mechanical. We're just sort of going through the motions. There's there's really no power. There's no drive. There's no desire. It's just sort of out of a sense of duty. And oftentimes in those times where we oftentimes as we're taking that time to spend with Jesus, we, we sort of see the Holy Spirit dealing with the flesh of our soul. In those times where we're just sort of going through the motions, it it finds it very difficult to suppress the self that is there within us that constantly wants to raise and and take control of us. And so it's not wasted time, even if you are a person who is constantly confronted with ministry, to pull away and have fellowship with God. The one thing about ministry is it can become very imbalanced. You can have too much activity without sufficient amount of time and meditation and communion with the Lord. And that's why, brothers and sisters, there's so much sowing that goes on, but there's oftentimes little reaping in Christian work today, whether that be in the church, whether that be in the home, whether that be out there in the community. So anyway, so Jesus tells his apostles, get in the boat, let's go to a place and get away and get some R&R. So they do, and as they get in, of course, the people see them. Some people do, they recognize them. And so they begin to run around the lake to get to the other side before they get there. Well, of course, as this crowd is is running around the lake, then there's all these other people that are like, hey, what's going on here? And they're talking about Jesus. Well, the disciples have just returned from their missionary trip. Jesus has been ministering in the community. People know about Jesus. And they're like, I want to see this. So they join the crowd. By the time the crowd gets to the other side of the lake, we're talking thousands of people who were there Waiting as Jesus comes. And I want us to know several things about Jesus and his ministry to his sheep, to his people, as we look at this text today. First of all, I want us to see Jesus' compassionate care. His compassionate care. Look at verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and and I would suggest to you that there's probably seven to eight thousand people. I mean, we we see later on that it says at the very last verse of this text that there was five thousand men. But uh, Matthew tells us in Matthew 14:21, 5,000 men besides women and children. So very easily it could have been seven or 8,000 people that were there on the shore waiting for Jesus and his apostles. And to uh, really appreciate what's going on here, I think you just got to think about this for a moment. Now, um, you know, if you look at this account of the feeding of the 5,000 in, in all of the Gospels, I think it's except John. Uh, before this feeding of the 5000 there is the story of John being beheaded okay and so there's this, there's a sense here in which it's a very real possibility that Jesus and the disciples had on their minds that execution of John and for Jesus this was somebody he was related to probably a cousin of his and who had been executed so the, the bible doesn't tell us you know, exactly what Jesus, how he processed that or how he thought about that. So I want to be careful not to go beyond scripture, but I also want us to also understand that Jesus was fully God, but fully man. He was human, okay? And so it's very likely he could have been mourning as he's retreating. He's been very busy in ministry. The disciples have gotten back from their short-term missions trip, and it's oftentimes the case you're excited, but you're also exhausted at the same time. And you don't know but it could be that the apostles were thinking, wow, this happened to John. This could happen to us, too, as well. But anyway, needless to say, they're just busy. So, you know, it's sort of nice. You get in that boat. You sort of leave ministry behind you. I don't know if you've ever done that, where you just, maybe you're going on vacation, and you just have had all these things that have happened. You had to work so hard just to get out of the house and get on vacation. And you get on the road, and you're like, yes, we're to leave it all behind. It just feels so good. So you can just imagine, possibly that's what Jesus and the disciples were thinking. And yet as they get close to shore, what do they see? People! They just want to be alone. And and maybe you understand that. Actually, maybe that's where you live your life. If you're a mom, you definitely <laughs> live your life there, right? There's all these little ones that are always grabbing for your attention. All right? But... What's striking here is in that scenario, look at Jesus' response. Okay, it says here, he had compassion on them. No matter what it was that he was going through, no matter what it was his disciples were going through, when he saw these people, it says that he was moved to the core of his being. That's what that word compassion means. He was moved to the core of his being. We might used the phrase, his, his heart went out to them. But it's, it's even stronger than that. And, and we, he, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, is what Mark tells us. Uh, he, he saw that they were people who needed to be guided, to protected, to cared for. They were people without direction. They were people without purpose. They were, they were people really without a leader. I, actually, if you look at the idea of shepherding in the Old Testament, it even some, that term is sometimes applied to military leaders those who protect and care for. So there's sort of that leadership aspect that comes in shepherding. And Jesus sees this crowd and sees that they are lost and wondering and they have no leader. And so he takes the opportunity to shepherd them. He takes the opportunity to to teach them. And and that's what we see. Now, Mark doesn't record us what he says because Mark rarely does that. But uh, Paul likens the ministry of the word to shepherding. If you would turn with me in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul is getting ready to leave uh, the Ephesian elders and he, he gives, he's just sort of reflecting upon his ministry. And he says in Acts 20, 24, But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish Everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which He is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see, Paul sees his ministry, and part of the shepherding aspect of his ministry is ministering through the word, and he's he's really challenging the elders to do the same. And he describes the word of God as the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so, brothers and sisters, Jesus sees you in those times when you are overwhelmed and he shepherds your soul. And he does so by giving you his word of grace, which is able to build you up. Now, regardless of whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, you simply cannot imagine, uh, if, if you cannot imagine the tender compassion of Jesus Christ, then you really don't understand who he is. I mean, one of the reasons why we're going through this study, gentle and lowly, is for us to see exactly that and what that looks like and to begin to correct and change and shift the thinking in our minds about how we view God to make sure that our thinking is consistent with what Scripture says. Because Jesus here felt for these people. Now, not emotionally felt like we do. Our, our feelings change us, and, and you know, they're all fraught with sin and things like that. But Christ's feelings are perfect, and uh, he, he feels for them. And, and we understand that even as Jesus is in heaven, right now, at the right hand of the Father, as the writer of Hebrews says, um, "...for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses." but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus still has compassion for us today in the things that we are going through. He feels for his people. He loves them. I mean, nine times in the New Testament, we read of Jesus having this deep compassion. Sometimes it's when he sees people who are sick. Sometimes it's when people are struggling with sin. But Jesus comes to us in merciful compassion. And that always prepares propels him to move closer to people, laboring amongst them, sort of forgetting himself and ministering to them because of (laughs) their needs. So there may be times when you need to pull away and rest, and there may be times when that's not allowed, and there's that time when you feel uh, you wish you could rest, but you can't, but that's okay. Sometimes God has different plans, but, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that Christ did not become impatient <coughs> with the crowd, but, uh, but he loved them. He had great pity and compassion for them. And I wonder about that, even as Christians. You know, uh, if, if we looked at people the same way Jesus did, if we looked at them through his eyes, you know, would we then maybe see their spiritual state and where they're at, rather than what they look like or what they smell like or how they act? Or their political views, or racial views, or whatever it might be, and instead of reacting against those things and judging them, and maybe uh, wanting to cast them out, you know, we might have compassion upon them. And I wonder sometimes if maybe people don't see Jesus' compassion because they've seen His church too much, and not seeing the compassion that's been there that ought to be, because. who christ is so jesus's compassionate care for his people but he also we see jesus's cooperative care uh, his cooperative care in verses 35 through 41 notice that the life of the disciple is not only mission for jesus but also mission with jesus you hear a lot of people saying we're doing this for god our church is doing this for god and it's like they're doing these things for god But the Bible teaches that that God does ministry with us. Let me read verse 35 through 41. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered to them, you give them something to eat. You see, Jesus was drawing them into ministry. He could have just as easily uh, done what he had done. As a matter of fact, in John's gospel, uh, it tells us that Jesus already knew what he was going to do when he asked them this. And the reason why Jesus asked them this, John tells us, is to test them. To, to maybe challenge them is where are you going to look for your solution? I'm going to put you on the hot seat and you're going to have to figure out. It's going to reveal to you sort of where your idols are. Where are you going to look to, 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 to fix this situation? And and we see exactly where they looked at the end of verse 37. And they said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? In other words, their only solution was to go buy bread. Their immediately thought was of the human solution. You know, 5,000 people, let me see, let's calculate this. Okay, that's, that's about 200 days worth of bread that we'd have to buy. Now, let me put that in today's terms. The median income in Andover, if you figured... 200 days of income for the median income in Andover, Kansas, it'd be $47,000. Let's just run down to Dillon's and buy $47,000 worth of bread. Well, you know, this is a poor itinerant preacher. These are poor disciples. You know, there's there's no way that they could do that. But it's interesting that their default was to look at the human solution. And especially when you think about who is the one who is standing right there before them? Jesus Christ! Jesus Christ! He is the one that calmed the storm. He's the one that raised the little girl to life. He is the one that casts out thousands of demons out of this man. And yet the best you can come up with is, we've got to come up with $47,000 to buy bread for these people. Rather than looking to the strength of God and realizing that He is able... These disciples chose to look inward to their own weakness. Now think about that. When we look to ourselves and our own abilities to fix things in our lives, maybe we look to other people that we know that maybe can help us with a problem. We are looking to our own weaknesses to provide that solution. We are fallen human creatures. And we are looking to that. And so often the reflux of our souls seems to be on our weakness and what we can do, not on what Christ can do. And so what happens is oftentimes it manifests itself in a number of ways. One of the ways it does is we worry. We look at the situation and we see that we can't do anything about it. And we begin to worry. We begin to fret and wonder, what am I going to do? Because there's no way I can fix this situation. Then I know there's others of you here in the congregation who say, I'm a take charge person. I'll get this (laughs) fixed. And we do get it fixed. But oftentimes we do so in a sense of weakness if we don't get to see the magnificence of what it is that God could do. But, but God wants uh, us to see that there's nothing wrong with saying, I can't do this. But where the disciples failed, and I think where we oftentimes fail as well, is to recognize that He can do it. That God is sufficient. That God is enough when we are not. Now, despite all of this and their weak faith, Christ chooses to work through them. I, I like how one person put it. They said, sometimes Christ works against us. Sometimes he works in spite of us, but he never works without us. He, uh, We must engage when it comes to ministry. We can't just let go and let God. God chooses to use human uh, using human people to do ministry, the work of ministry is always to be done in the church, in the home, in the world through His people. So God wants to use us to bring the bread of life to the needy world around us, and He could do that perfectly without us. Like I said, He could He could have created this bread ex nihilo out of nothing. He created the whole universe. He didn't need five loaves and two fishes. He could have had bread come down in pink parachutes. And land on the crowds of 50 people. He could have done it however he chose to do so. But wonder of all wonders, God delights in including us in the work of ministry. And no wonder Paul says in Second Corinthians 5.20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Because God is making his appeal through his people to the world around us. So then Christ asked the disciples to go and to find out what's available. Well, we see that in verses 38 through 41. And they go and they find this boy and he has five fish and, or five loaves of bread and two fish. And he takes those and, and, and they bring those to Jesus. And Jesus tells the people to sit down in groups. So the disciples have him sit down in groups. And Jesus begins to pass this out. Amongst 5,000 people, there were only five loaves and two fishes. Now, in asking the disciples to go and to find out what they have available, I would suggest to you that Jesus was further exposing their weakness. He says, what's the best you got? Five loaves and two fishes. That's not much for 5,000 people. But there's also a sense in which Jesus wants us, I think, sometimes he asks us that to show us that we cannot do it. He wants us to feel the total sense of our helplessness. And there may be circumstances in your life that you're dealing with that are hopeless. That you cannot figure out how to fix it, and there is nothing that you can do. It may be that child that doesn't want to come to church. You know, it may be something else that's 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 in your life and, and you're you're struggling with. But there is a sense that when we serve Christ, he calls us to bring to him what we have. It might be only five loaves and two fishes, and that's okay. He wants us to bring it. And the God who made the vastness of the Milky Way with the word of his power out of nothing, he will take that little, whether it's a little wisdom, whether it's little strength, whether it's little provision, and you watch him and he will supply your need, maybe not all your want, but all your need according to his riches and to do so to bring glory to himself. You know, Paul explains why God chooses to do that through us. Okay, in Second Corinthians four, verse seven, um, God delights to use us in our ordinariness and our weakness, because Paul says, "But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show the, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He is enough; we are not. He is sufficient." God uses common clay jars like us so that there will be no mistake as to where the power comes from. We so often think that God wants us to bring our strengths. And and God does use our strengths at times, you know, whenever we give those to him. But what about our barley loaves and and our ordinariness? And what about our weaknesses? What about those things when God calls us to do something we really don't feel comfortable to do? Those things that are way outside of our comfort zone. And we just say, oh, well, that's outside of our comfort zone is to dismiss it. But sometimes it's those things that God wants to use. The truth is, the, the weaknesses are harder to give to God. You know, if you're an eloquent speaker, you know, you'll say, God, here's my my talent in, in oratory. I'll be glad to use that. Or maybe you're good at business and you say, Lord, I'll use my administration in the church. I'll use all my strengths in the church To glorify you but but it's another thing to give god your weaknesses and you know what brothers and sisters i'm i'm actually sort of excited about our church i really am i think we you guys are a great group of people i think though that there are some things that we might wrestle with you know for example to reach out to the community that may not be in the wheelhouse in the comfort zone of a lot of people in our church. I know we have a lot of introverts. Not everybody, not everybody that's an introvert, you know, doesn't want to share their faith, but you know, it may be hard. God may call us to do things, but I'm excited about that weakness. Because if we will give that weakness to the Lord, we will watch him work in a way that is so mighty and powerful that only he will receive the glory. And we will stand back and we will be amazed and we will rejoice. When he does that which would honor him. And so we see Jesus' compassionate care, but we also see his cooperative care. And then third and finally, and very briefly, we see his complete care. Look at verses 42 through 44. He, he feeds the, the 5,000 plus, and he says they were satisfied. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces, And of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, his provision was complete, it was total, and it was satisfying. And there's 12 baskets left over, more than enough. Now, you know, oftentimes I think we think of that and we see that there's 12 baskets and there's 12 disciples. So it's just to remind each one of the disciples see how much Jesus can do with what you bring to him. But I also think there's a sense in which 12 could represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And he was basically saying to his people, to God's people, see, God provided once again for his people. And he provided in abundance. So the feeding of the 5,000 tells us that he truly feels for us with compassionate mercy, that he omnipotently provides for us through creative power, that he fully satisfies us with the bread of life and calls us to bring that which we have uh, and that we might share the bread of life with others so as we come this morning, I want you to remember that Jesus is the shepherd. I want you to see his love and his compassionate care for his disciples and also for, for the crowds. Uh, but also in all of this, understand that it begins with weakness. Understand it begins with weakness. The disciples are not in a great place where they have a lot of reserve in order to minister. Actually, they're sort of at the end of themselves. And yet, then the need is even greater that they are facing. So don't be surprised if Christ puts you in a position where you feel overwhelmed, where you feel weak, where you feel unable to cope. Maybe you feel like all you have is five loaves and two fishes in the face of 5,000 people. In other words, you feel very inadequate. To meet the need of the moment. And, and you feel out of your depth. You feel overwhelmed. You feel crushed. Well, I'll just tell you, that's vintage God. Okay, that's just the way he does it lots of times. He brings us to that sense where we are totally uh, without reserve. And God often puts us in that position to teach us to look away from ourselves and our weaknesses, and our emptiness, and to look to Him in His fullness. Brothers and sisters, why do we look to our weakness? When we have a God who is enough. But this beacon, or excuse me, but this feeling of being overwhelmed is like a beacon that really is calling us back to God. That's why He does that. He's not trying to be mean. He wants us to come to Him and to understand that He is the one who will fulfill all his gospel promises. And that's not just some platitude that's on a church marquee. That is the heart of God towards his people. And I hope you know that this morning. Wherever you're at, whatever you're facing, you know, sometimes God leaves us to struggle long through this life with needs that are not being met or yearnings for something to be fulfilled, maybe promises that seem to mock us. Maybe you've memorized Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And you're trying to delight yourself in the Lord, but your heart is still longing. But let us continue to look to Him. His time frame, His schedule is, is, is always perfect to accomplish exactly that which He wants to accomplish. You think about Abraham and Sarah. You know, they waited 25 years For the promised son, and nothing happened. And so they thought, well, maybe we're supposed to do something. And so they did. And they had Ishmael through that. And God said, that ain't it. That's not the fulfillment of my promise. Made him wait five more years. And then he (laughs) gave them Isaac. Because you see, God was doing something beyond what they could grasp. And you may be here today, and you may be wrestling and struggling, but just understand. While you might feel that you are alone and that God is silent and he's not hearing you, he is at work. He's doing something. And so I just encourage you, brothers and sisters, embrace the promises of God. I mean, think of this, this, the sins of your life. Each one of our sins heavy enough to drag us, our souls down to hell forever. And yet God says, look at my son. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And you may be here this morning and you may be struggling with something else. You may really be battling. And if he is so great as to fulfill that promise, and, and he is able to provide for your salvation, which we could never have imagined how he could have done that, but he did that in a great way so he can fulfill his other promises as well. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of God? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is full of promises. And all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus, but only in his perfect time. And so he calls you to trust in him, to lay hold of those promises to trust Him, to stand on them. Brothers and sisters, when you stand on those promises, you could not be standing on more solid ground than what you are when you stand on the promises of God. And trust Him, because He is the second Moses. He is the one who has come to provide everything for His people, to provide their salvation, and not just for the people of God, but for the whole world. Glory be to God. Amen. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my own. Let's bow our heads as we meditate upon this word this morning. <clears throat> Lord jesus we thank you that you love us and you have compassion upon your people lord we are here this morning and i can't imagine there's not one person in this room that does not have some need it's not struggling with with something that's not rustling oh god who needs needs you lord we may have tried and tried and tried and we I've figured everything out and we have worked so hard and we are so tired, God, trying to organize our lives and make it the way that we ought to think it ought to be. And yet, Lord, it's not. We have just made a mess of things or maybe we feel pretty good about it. But Lord, we we have to keep working hard or 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 something will get out of place. and, And we're just total control freaks. Forgive us, Lord, for our sin of seeking to usurp your sovereign care and love. We pray that we would understand that you are enough and we are not. That we would come to you in our weakness and our our helplessness and, and cry out to you. And we pray, Lord, I especially want to pray this morning for those that have been battling for a long time, long, long, long time. God, whatever the circumstances may be, whatever the hardship may be, and they are tired and they are weary we pray lord this morning that you would lift them up by your everlasting arms and hold them and remind them of your great love and promises that you are trustworthy they they can continue on they can persevere they can rest in you and you will give them rest lord we thank you so much we pray as well lord for those that are here today maybe that have never heard the good news of the gospel of jesus christ but there's just something that, that was said this morning that this strikes their hearts and, and, and there's hope that they have, that they think, could this be it? Help them to see it is. Help them, Lord, to reach out to us that we might be able to pray with them, that we might be able to minister to them. We pray, Lord, that you would work through the weakness of our church, not through the, the strength of our body, but through the weaknesses, God. To, um, to see believers strengthened, to see others come to faith in Christ. Lord, we pray that we would see your mighty power at work through us. So help us, God, uh, to be willing to step out in our weakness and to trust you with the, with the five loaves and the two fishes that we have. We pray in your name, amen.